Hello, welcome to episode 66 of the Cost Per Pointcast. I'm your host, Colin Cudmore. And once again, I've claimed the throne as the number one co-host and kicked off Trevor, my co-host, as we're back with episode two of season two of Draft Debaters. Uh, last episode, I was joined by Josh Chesler and TPE Hockey, as we talked about Tim Stusla, Yaroslav Askarov, uh, some other players too. And today I'm joined by two more fantastic scouts who I can't wait to introduce to you. So first up, on my virtual left, taking over Trevor as our British Columbia rep- representative, he writes for the Hockey Writers. Welcome to the show, Larry Fisher. Larry, how's it going? It's going good. Thanks again for having me, Colin. Appreciate coming on the show for the second year in a row. Totally. We're glad to have you. And some of our listeners remember you from last year's pilot episode, the first episode last year. So I'm really happy to have you back for season two. But you've got some stiff competition too, as on my virtual right, he's a fellow SB Nation writer for Defending Big D. Welcome to the show, Derek Newmeyer. Derek, how's it going? Hey, it's going well. And thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. Most people don't quite get it. Awesome guy. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's kind of great how the schedule worked out for this episode because um, like Josh Tesler from last episode, both you guys uh, are scouts for future considerations. And not only that, but you're both based in Western Canada too. So that kind of worked out nicely. Uh, last episode, we actually talked a bit about Seth Jarvis. So I'm sure we'll definitely be talking about some more WHLers in this episode. So with a little bit about the format first, um, we'll be discussing four players this episode, as always, where I'll, I'll read out your disagreed rankings each of you will then get a turn to speak on why you're high or low on that player, and then you'll just later get a chance to rebut as well. It's all in good fun, so let's just jump right into the first player. Um, and that first player today is Maverick Bork, who, according to the consensus rankings, is expected to be taken somewhere in the back half of the first round. Um, he's a centerman. Uh, he plays for Shawinigan in the QMJHL, where he led his team this year with 71 points in 49 games. So, in terms of rankings, Larry, you have him ranked 21st. Well, Derek, uh, you have him at 41st, just outside the first round. Um, so, starting with Larry, what's your reading on Bork's game at the moment, and uh, why do you have him in the range you have him? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Seth Jarvis in the intro, because when I watch Maverick Bork, to me, he's the QMJHL's version of Seth Jarvis. I see them as kind of the, the same type of player, and I realize that May sound strange considering they play different positions. Bork is a a centerman, at at least in junior, and and Seth Jarvis being a winger. But I do see similarities in their playing style and and the way they attack. Uh, And in general, just the the way their draft year played out. Uh, They maybe didn't have the best showings or the greatest showings in the the international tournament, uh, the Halinka, as well as the the best-on-best event at the top prospects game but both of them start in league play and and I just see a lot of similarities between Maverick Bork and Seth Jarvis although I do think there's a bit of separation there I don't have them quite on the same level even though there's only three spots between them in my rankings with uh, Jarvis at 18 and Bork at 21 there is a, a tier divider stuck in between there and Bork is sort of the first name of the next tier whereas my 9 to 20 tier ends with uh Two other QMJHL forwards in Hendricks, Lapierre, and Dawson Mercer. So I do think there's a, a gap between Mercer and Bork, whereas Jarvis is in that next tier, the above tier. But to me, they're they're similar players in, in a lot of ways, and that's sort of why I'm uh, quite high on, on Maverick Bork uh, relative to the rest of the first round. Totally. And, and for Derek, is your reading on Bork any different? Do you see him more as, as a goal scorer or a playmaker? And uh, why is your ranking... Um, more just outside the first round? Is it just a case of preferring other players or is your reading kind of different on him? Uh, I would say it's a little bit different. Um, 
let's make no mistake. I, I do like Maverick Bork. Uh, there are definitely aspects of his game that I think are high end that I really like. He has really good vision. He's a really skilled puck handler. He is a very good playmaker. And all these things really bear themselves out when he's on the power play, where he picked up uh, 25 of his points this season. So he's, he's definitely a player with some tools to work with. Uh, and I do see the similarities that uh, Larry was talking about comparing him to someone like Seth Jarvis. Although I think there is one big area where Jarvis and Bork differ, and that's the main area where I'm still a little bit hesitant about Bork, and I would say it's his um, his motor and his ability to play with pace. I find that when I watch him, he's a little bit a little bit laid back in how he plays. You know, he'll he'll stop moving his feet a lot of the time. He likes to stop up and kind of survey things from the wall, which you can get away with a little bit in the QMJHL but it's something that doesn't really work at higher levels. You really need to be able to create that separation from defenders. You need to be able to pressure opponents when you don't have the puck. And I think these are things that Bork doesn't quite do well. He's not a bad skater by any means, but he's not exactly high end in that regard. So when you factor in his slightly above average skating with uh, a motor that I would say is maybe average or below average, I think he's going to have a little bit of trouble creating the space that he's used to right now once he gets to the higher levels. And I also think there's a little bit of a strength issue there as well. I mean, I've seen a lot of his goals this season that, you know, they weren't overly hard, they won't they weren't overly accurate, but they still managed to beat goalies in the QMJHL. I think that could be a problem with him going forward. Uh, I don't want to like be be too down on Bark because I think there's a good foundation there to work with. And I think some of these issues are going to get improved through development, but I think there's a little bit of risk there with how he plays and how well it's going to translate to higher levels. Yeah. It's interesting to bring up the QMJHL aspect because it's kind of um, sort of wanted a bit as a league that players can kind of cheat in a little bit um, just because yeah. it's not kind of, there's, there's definitely some stylistic differences between that and say the WHL where there's the defenders tend to be um, a bit bigger and more defensively focused. So uh, going back to Larry, I'm just wondering if uh, you, if you want to speak on that a bit, maybe um, whether you think um, someone like Bork, who isn't exactly the biggest player either, he's he's 5'10", which I guess is still respectable, whether you think he'll be able to translate outside of the QMJHL. Derek made a lot of good points there about uh, the pace of play and the mortar aspect, and that's probably what kept him out of that 9 to 20 tier, why he's the first name of the next tier. And, and when I think about him, another player that sort of fits that same mold, although more of a shooter and, and a better scorer potentially, is Jacob Perot in the in the OHL. And I have mm. Jacob Perot at 39. And, and there isn't a lot of separation there between Bork at 21 and, and Perot at 39. So I think that's where tiers really put rankings into perspective. Although I have Bork at 21, He's still sort of right in that 21 to 40 range where, you know, you look at a guy like Jacob Pro who's 18 spots lower, but there's not that much difference in their game. And and again, questions marks as to whether that will translate to pro and certainly to the NHL as far as uh, the pace of play. But I do think Bork, uh, I think there's something there that can that can potentially take that next step and and add those elements to his game. I think he he can speed up his game as he goes. So I, I'm quite high on him, but again, he's is in that tier for me, which is actually an even bigger tier. It's 21 to 53. And, and maybe it's just the way my rankings go sometimes where uh, they tend to be league, league blocks uh, within the tiers, the sort of 
keep the players from the same league together at times. And and so he falls right in there with, uh, like I said, he's following up on Lapierre and Mercer, and then it goes Bork, and then two defensemen from the queue with Justin Barron and Lucas Cormier at uh, 22-23. So potentially uh, a little league bias just with that block in there, whereas, you know, if there were OHL guys right there, perhaps Bork would have been down in the in the 30s. So uh, I think that tier is pretty fluid from 21 to 53 for me. And and certainly a guy like Bork, uh, comparable to somebody like Jacob Pro, who's a few spots lower in the rankings at 39. Yeah, it's interesting how the, those uh, these kind of tier systems can work, and especially even just in in these types of ranges. It is it's I talk about this a lot, but in but just how crazy the how crazy deep this draft is this year and and just how many skilled players you can find in in the second or even third round this year and and some of those guys could, could be falling out of that range but uh just to bring it back to derek i just want to talk a bit about uh his speed and that motor that you that you referenced and it's interesting because when you look at prospects and their development paths some, some of them like we'll see major improvements in these types of areas and some will just kind of fall out flat and uh uh with a guy like bork do you see that there's um reason to believe he'd be able to improve uh, his motor or his speed in the future or 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 potentially um or potentially just kind of stall out at where he is right now uh i would say yes i mean i i don't want to be too low on the guy uh, to go back to what larry was saying about tiers he's kind of in the 30 to 45 tier for me so if he were to go as high as you know the late 20s or early 30s i wouldn't be surprised and i would completely understand um where a team would be coming from betting on the the factors of his game that aren't good right now getting better. Uh, from what I've seen of Bork, he seems like a fairly smart player. He has a really good understanding of how plays unfolding on the ice. And from everything I've read, he seems like a smart kid off of the ice as well. So I think that's usually the first necessary factor about whether a player is going to develop as they get older and improve those aspects of the game. You, know, you need to understand what your weaknesses are before you can fix them. And I think Bork is the type of player who will be coachable and he will be able to understand what his weaknesses are. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that you'll be able to fix them to a, to a really high end degree. I don't think you'll ever have the motor as of someone like Jarvis. I think a lot of that is, it's kind of ingrained in the player by this point already, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Bork did take some big steps and got a lot better as a player but I'm just not sold on how likely that is at this point. Totally, and, that, and that's totally fair to have uh, different reads on these players, but I think it's time we move on to the second player that I have on our list to talk about, and that is Caden Gooley. He's a defenseman from the WHL's Prince Albert Raiders. Um, he was a depth player as part of their or their juggernaut team last year in 2018-19, um, and some Sens fans may remember Parker Kelly from being a part of that too, um, but Gooley really turned it up a notch this season as arguably uh, their top defender. So uh, just looking at the consensus rankings, he's already one of the draft's most polarizing players this season, uh, being projected anywhere from being in the top 20 to all the way into the third round. But um, Larry and Derek, uh, you're both from Western Canada, and you've probably seen him uh, a lot more than I have, at least. And this is uh, definitely a unique case on this podcast where you guys are both pretty high on him, uh, just to different degrees this time. So uh, Larry, you have him at 24th on your latest list, whereas Derek, you have him all the way up at 14th. So uh, let's start with Derek this time. What case do you think uh, Gooey has as being a top pick this year? Yeah, so sometimes when I discuss defense prospects, I try to break it down into two primary categories. Uh, how a defenseman plays with the puck on his stick and how a defenseman plays without the puck on his stick. 
And both of those factors are very important. But I find that sometimes the scouting community can be a little bit slanted towards what a defenseman can do with the puck on a stick. And some guys don't necessarily pay as much attention to what a defenseman can do without the puck on a stick. And with the case with Gooley is that what he can do with the puck on a stick, it's not great. It's maybe average. I've seen him, you know, flub a lot of passes and have trouble carrying the puck through open ice. But what I like about Gooley is that he's, I think he's very elite when it comes to what he can do without the puck on a stick. And that's important because, you know, for most teams, you're going to only have the puck about 50% of the time, roughly, if we're talking about possession. And you need guys that are able to stop opponent possession so you can get it for your team and start it up again. And that's where Gooley really comes into play. He's a big kid, about six foot three. He's got a good long reach on his stick, and he's a really, really high-end skater. He's able to keep really tight gaps through neutral ice, and he's able to do the stopping and starting and have the edge work to kind of stick with speedy players when they're in the cycle in his own defensive end. He also has a really advanced understanding of how to pin players along the boards, tie up players around the crease, box them out away from the goalie to prevent garbage goals. All these things don't really show themselves up uh, in highlights. They're kind of the things you have to watch someone like Gooley a lot of times to recognize all the little things that he does. But he does these things really, really well. He just has a very advanced understanding of how to be a shutdown defenseman, a modern shutdown defenseman, someone who actually has the mobility to keep up with the speed of the of the game right now. And that's what I really like about him. I think he's going to be a guy who develops really well as a shutdown defenseman at the NHL level. I think he's going to be a guy who could play second pair, maybe even top pair, if he's paired with uh, a partner who's actually capable at moving the puck. At the Helenka tournament over last summer, he was on a pairing with Jamie Drysdale, and the two of them were dynamite together. Drysdale carried the puck. He was the guy who moved it up the ice. Gooley was the guy who kind of acted as the fallback, the safety valve, and I thought it was a great use of both of their talents. Yeah, it's interesting to see how those two really paired together at that tournament. And uh, just moving to Larry, I'm sure you agree with a lot of what he said, but uh, are there any different reasons why you like Gooley as a prospect or or maybe reasons why you're just slightly less convinced? No, I think Derek hit the nail on the head in highlighting all of Gooley's strengths. And I think he really put those strengths on display in the CHL Top Prospects game. That was probably the best showing of the draft year that I seen from Caden Gooley. So there's no doubt in my mind that NHL teams like Caden Gooley. And, and again, like Derek said, he might not be the best fantasy player for your fantasy draft. And he, he's might not the sexiest prospect. You do have to watch him repeatedly to appreciate the strengths of his game. But I think he's been able to raise his level. And I know a lot of people don't like looking too much at the international tournaments or, or the best on best showcases like the CHL top prospects game. But for me, what I like about Caden Gooley and why I wouldn't even consider putting him into the second round, or as you mentioned, some people have him as low as the third round. Again, that's the the non-sexy Caden Gooley. But for me, watching him at the Halinka and, and watching him at the CHL top prospects game, just his ability to raise his level. And like Derek said, to compliment a, a puck moving partner like Drysdale, I think uh, he's got NHL top four defensemen written all over him. Can he reach that next tier to to be a second pair or to be a top pairing guy? And that's kind of the what remains to be seen. And maybe that's what held him out of my you know nine to twenty tier. Is just in my 
interpretation of this draft. I think my ranking speaks to the strengths, the strength of forward. It's a really forward heavy draft class. And that's just the way my tiers worked out. I only have two defensemen in my top 20. Uh, that being Jamie Drysdale at number five and Jake Sanderson at number nine. And then I have a run of 11 straight forwards from 11 to 21, uh, followed by six straight D. And, and Gooley's in that group. Gooley is still my top defenseman from the WHL, and he's my fifth overall defenseman. The only defensemen that are ahead of him are Drysdale, Sanderson, and then the, the two guys I had mentioned earlier from the QMJHL and Justin Barron and Lucas Cormier. And again, that may just be that I was on a run of, of QMJHL kids in that sort of block uh, to start off that tier. So uh, again, to me, Justin Barron is a guy who I really like, but is Caden Gooley, you know, much less than Justin Barron? I think they're right there together. So uh, a, a lot of the things Derek said, though, he nailed all the strengths and and I think the ability to raise his level in, in those key showcases uh, will certainly help Caden Gooley come draft day. Yeah, interesting. And I mean, just to be open about this, I, I've been kind of on the fence on Gooley on, pretty much all season as well. Cause, uh, and it's great. So it's great to hear some some more positive reviews about uh, Gooley's game from people who I, I, I'm sure have, have watched it far more than <laughs> far more than I have. So um so just going back to Derek, I mean, Larry kind of mentioned this that he's he's less kind of less kind of a sexy pick this year, and we've seen a bunch of scouts rank him as low as a third or sometimes even fourth round. So I'm just wondering why you think some scouts may be less convinced, and whether you think those reasons may be be valid for his um, for not taking him that high in the draft. Uh, I think some of it comes back to uh, some guys just being a little too focused on what a defenseman can do with the puck on a stick, like I had mentioned earlier. Uh, sometimes, yeah, it's, it's harder to look for that stuff that that's not quite so sexy, the stuff that's a little bit harder to do without the puck on, on the stick. Things like separating a player from the puck, uh, you know, keeping a really tight gap in the neutral zone. Those things aren't e- as easy to notice. Uh, I think a large part of it, too, is that Gooley has some problems with his decision-making. He'll pinch a little bit too high sometimes. He'll go for the big hit when it's not there and take himself out of position. So I can see I can see some hesitation about his hockey sense. It's not elite. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think it might be a little bit better than some people give him credit for. Uh, Gooley just has this, there's this competitive side to him. You can just see the way he processes the ice. And he, he processes things pretty quickly. Um, he doesn't always make the right decision when he's got some time and some space, but I can see just how he's processing things and how determined he is to make a difference and how competitive he is. And I think that's a really good sign for his development. It kind of ties back to what we were talking about before with Maverick Bork, you know, whether he has the, the mental makeup to improve the parts of his game that are bad. I think Gooley has that. I think he is a fairly smart kid who just has some warts to his decision-making that need to be ironed out. But I, I'm expecting those things to get ironed out. I think just with how how quickly he can think and how quickly he can react and just how determined he is as a player. I mean, when I was watching this guy at the Halenka uh, selection camp here in Calgary last summer, he was very noticeable. I mean, we're talking just a selection camp, and he was blowing up his teammates with hits. He was pushing the pace when he had the puck. Like he, he wanted to make a statement. And I think when you've got someone who's that committed, I think they're going to be really willing and able to put in the time to learn and to get better at what their weaknesses are. Yeah, it's it's interesting for sure. And uh, I, I mean, you kind of touched on on his his physical aspect there as well. Just just uh, the, the way he he 
you can kind of uh, dominate the opposition that way. And I wanted to ask uh, Larry about a bit more about that, just because um, I know some scouts and, and myself to a degree as well will kind of uh, work to more towards the uh, offensive skilled aspect is more the innate aspects. And the defense is kind of the more uh, aspects that you can learn as part of a game. I'm wondering if, if you can um, speak to that a bit and whether you think that it's, it's worth taking someone who has those, those physical ready aspects already uh, that high in the draft or whether it's um, just more a bet on his defensive skill set. Yeah, I think Gooley, I think, I think he will, as a pro, certainly be relied on more in a shutdown role, but I think maybe we're selling him a little bit short in his 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 actual tools, too. I mean, he is a very strong skater. He's quite explosive with his skating, and he has probably one of the hardest slap shots, one-timers, uh, certainly slap shots from the point in, in the draft class among the defensemen. So he has a big shot, and he... And he's a strong skater. And certainly, as Derek said, he, he might be one of the bigger hitters as well. So he's an impactful guy, even though he may not put up, you know, points and he might not be a, a power play, you know, type guy in the NHL. He certainly has the shot. He has the skating ability. And, and that physical aspect, his ability to to step up and throw the big hit, almost like a, a young Dion Phaneuf with that aspect, uh, you know, and, and kind of. I actually mocked him to Columbus at 15th overall. And in that mock, I compared him to Ryan Murray coming out of junior. And I said, he's, he's got some of the same strengths as Murray as well. Just the Murray was obviously maybe a bit smoother and, and more advanced in his decision-making. And that's why he was a a second overall pick. But again, I think it it maybe speaks to the, the depth of this draft class that we're talking about Caden Gooley in the, you know, Again, my rankings are a little bit different than my mocks. I do think Caden Gooley, there's a good chance he'll be drafted in the teens, even though I have him ranked in the 20s and I have him sort of in a little bit lower tier in my rankings. But I I think that this draft class is so strong relative to, say, the 2012, the Nail Yakupov draft that Ryan Murray was in. And I think that's getting lost a a little bit with Caden Gooley, too, is that there are so many forwards that are grabbing people's attention, but as far as the defenseman goes, he's definitely a top five defender in this draft class, and some might have him as high as three behind only Drysdale and Sanderson. So he's a, an impressive prospect that brings a lot of tools and a, a kid who's been a high end player all along. He was a first overall pick in the WHL Bantam draft. So I definitely think we have to give Caden Gooley his due as a, as an all around player that brings a, a lot of nice tools. Yeah, and he's definitely no slouch offensively either. I mean, he, he had 11 goals last year and 40 points, so it's definitely like it's not like he was just slouching back and not making things happen. He definitely, uh, yeah, you guys are definitely right in that aspect. So uh, the third player I want to move on to, uh, we'll be moving back to a forward, and that's uh, Alexander Poshin. Uh, he played in the MHL in Russia this past year. Uh, he had 39 points in 37 games as one of the league's top draft eligible players, and he's currently projected as about a second or third round player uh, at this at the moment. Um, but in terms of your guys' rankings, where you have him just inside the first round at 30th, kind of in that same tier you were talking about before. Uh, well, Derek, you have him a lot further down at 79th. So uh, we'll start with Larry this time. Um, what is your case for Poshin? Poshin, uh, as you can tell from my rankings, he's one of my boys this year. He's a guy that uh, certainly blew me away at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Uh, he was arguably the MVP, the, the most dominant player in that tournament, scored two goals including the winner in, in the championship game uh, to lead Russia over Canada for gold. And and that's where he really solidified to me and, and proved to me that he had that first round talent. And I've sort of, you know, followed him throughout the draft year. 
He he was over a point per game in league play in the NHL. Maybe he underwhelmed a little bit at the World Under-17 Challenge at the sort of the December, the next uh, big best-on-best uh, best international tournament. I expected him to do the same there as he did at the at the Holinka in the summer, but he he was snake bitten there. He only he didn't have any goals and he only had four assists in six games. Never quite made the same impact. But even the eye test at the World Under Seventeen Challenge, he still had his moments where that talent popped for me. And uh, the more I watched him, and again, especially at the the Holinka, he reminded me a lot of Artemi Panarin. Uh, I know their names kind of rhyme, Passion Panarin, but uh, it, it goes beyond that. I think that the the comparison is there as far as the the way he attacks the puck with elite skill and finishing ability. I think uh, Passion has a, a chance to be a, a real offensive catalyst in the NHL and a, a real fun player to watch if he makes it. He is a kid who has a, a bit of the boom-bust thing going on, but from from his Alinka performance especially, I I think he's got that high end that he can be, a, that high ceiling that he can be a, a top 31 player from this draft class uh, when all is said and done. Totally. Yeah, he can, de- he can definitely be a fun player to watch. And uh, just over to Derek, uh, do you have any case why you may be less convinced on Passion as a first or even maybe a second round player? Uh, yeah, and, and let me be clear. I do really like Alexander Passion. I think he's a very fun player to watch. He's honestly one of the funnest players to watch in this entire draft class. He's fearless. You know, he really plays hard. He has that really good motor to touch on what I was talking about earlier with Jarvis and Bork. Uh, but there's just something about Passion that that doesn't quite stick with me. Uh, well, I guess it's two things mainly. It's it's his combination of his size and his skating. And it's just it's really hard for players to succeed at the higher levels of the game if you don't have at least one of those two things. And as I, I was really high on passion as well after the Flinka tournament, but the more I watched him this season, the more he started to slip for me. I didn't think he was great at the World Junior A Challenge. Uh, I didn't think he was all that great in the MHL play that I watched. He played on a really good Tolpar team that ran, you know, a really deep forward group. And the MHL competition, it can be really hit or miss. I mean, some teams there are much, much better than others, and Tolpar is one of those better teams. And then most recently, I've been catching up with um, games from the U18 Five Nations uh, back in February in the Czech Republic, and he didn't really stand out there either. So I, I think there's skill there. He sees the ice well. He's got that motor. He's really good at the puck on his stick, both as a playmaker and as kind of like a stick handler. But the, the main thing with me is he, he has a hard time creating space. He'll try and make a play wide around a defenseman, but he doesn't quite have the wheels to get there. He'll try to stick handle through traffic, but he's got a pretty short stick. So when he when he goes up against bigger defenders, even though they don't need to hit him, they just have their long reach that can kind of knock the puck away from him. You know, if he had Matt Barzal's hands, I think he would have better success rate, but his hands aren't quite that good. So for just for what he is and how he tries to play, I think he runs into some trouble. I mean, he'll, he'll still pick up points at the higher levels of the game. I think he'll be a guy who can find the quiet parts of the ice because he's got the sense and he's got the kind of the drive to get there. But at the NHL level, so much of the game just comes down to space, uh, whether how, how much you can create it for yourself and your teammates as a forward or how quickly and easily you can take it away as a defenseman. And Passion is one of those guys, I think he has trouble creating that space. It's a little bit too easy to keep him to the outside. It's a little bit easy to kind of push him out of the, the garbage areas for those garbage goals. So I, I think there's a chance he'll make it. I could see him being, 
you know, a 30, 40 point score uh, at the NHL level if everything breaks right. But I think there's a lot of risk that he doesn't quite uh, advance to that level. And if he does, there's also risk that I don't think he quite gets off the fourth line. So I hate to say it because, like I said, I do like him. I like how he plays the game. I like how he approaches the game. I just have questions about whether his specific skill set is going to be quite enough to translate to higher levels of hockey. Yeah, interesting. I mean, he definitely is. I mean, I, from what I've seen, he's definitely been fun. But um, yeah, as you mentioned, he he definitely, uh, um, as you kind of mentioned as well, he is a five seven player. He's much much shorter than someone like Caden Gooley. So, um, just to Larry, do you think that at just just this just the size on its own would factor into his ranking at all, or is it uh, more or are you more so um, just high on his potential ceiling? Yeah, I don't think we can ignore the size definitely because he is quite small you know he's listed at five foot seven 154 pounds but like Derek said and and like we've seen at the Holinka and I've seen in some of my MHL viewings he's quite a a fearless player he goes to the you know you you could tell me he was six two and I, I would probably believe it because he he goes to the dirty area he goes to the net you know he likes to he has that attacking mentality and that mortar uh, obviously NHL defensemen on average are, are quite big and they will be able to as Derek said, kind of just angle him off, even if they don't knock him off the puck. But for me, I don't see passion being a guy who could potentially play in the bottom six. That's why I mentioned the the boomer bust. I think he's he needs to be that top six forward, or or he probably won't be in the NHL. And if he is, I think if he makes the NHL, I think he could be a, a point per game player. I think he can be, you know, 60 to 80 points. I think he can be what Artemi Panarin has become. I think, you know, what we expect from Kirill Kaprasov. When he comes over next season, I think he's got that level of upside. Uh, he also reminds me a bit of Nick Robertson, who obviously scored over 50 goals in the OHL this season after falling to the second round and landing in the Leafs lap at 53rd overall last year. I expect Passion to probably go in that range somewhere in the 50s is sort of where I've seen him going in mock drafts and, and probably where I'll have him pegged in, in a mock draft. But I do think that the talent is there to be a, like I said, a first round talent uh, with this draft class. And and last year I had Nick Robertson ranked 23rd in my final rankings. And for much the same reasons that I have passion within my, my top 31 is I, I see that ceiling. But again, what Nick Robertson does in the OHL, can he do for the Leafs in the NHL at his size? Because they are both smaller players that maybe aren't the speediest of guys. So it'll be interesting to see how they develop. But one thing to keep in mind about Alexander Passion that's important too is his age. He doesn't turn 18 until the end of July. His birthday's July 28th. So he's very young for this draft class. And that is part of why I see that high ceiling that he was that far advanced that last summer already at the Holinka. And yet he's one of the younger guys in this draft class. So to me, I think he's a guy that, you know, in the it's going to take a while. I think a team that drafts him will be waiting on his development. Uh, Artemi Panarin never came over till he was 24 years old. Kirill Kaprasov was a fifth rounder uh, and came is planning to come over at 23 years old. Panarin was never even drafted. So to me, I think there, there will be a, a waiting period and a d- big time development curve for the team that takes passion. But the reward is a top six forward who could potentially be a, a point per game impact player in the NHL. Yeah, it's interesting, and I think the term you mentioned that uh, I think a lot of people are using is is boomer bust, and you just you just has that that high end skill level that um, 
it, that definitely still comes with a lot of risk. And I guess my question to Derek is like, how much risk is too much for a player at this point? And and do you, and how do you think passion falls on that scale for you? Uh, well, it really varies from player to player. Um, the, one of the terminology that I like to use too is that high ceiling, low floor kind of thing. And I'm willing to accept a little bit more risk with a player. You know, I'm willing to accept a player who might be risky as a top six option if I think you can develop him into a bottom six player. Uh, so that's why someone like Passion, I'm not quite as high on because I, I see the upside. I see the potential for him maybe becoming a top six player one day, probably second line. I don't necessarily think he'd ever be a top line guy, but I also don't see much of a floor. Like, like Larry was saying, I don't know if he'd ever really be the type of guy who'd fit on a bottom pair. Maybe if a team has a fourth line that they're willing to let score or play a little bit fast or try and do something a little bit different, maybe he could fill a bottom four role that way. But I don't know. I I, I just don't quite see it. Um, I don't. I want. I don't want to give the impression that I have this vendetta against small players or anything like that because I really like Seth Jarvis. I really like Casper Samantabal uh, out of Finland. For defensemen, I really like uh, Emil Andre, and I'm a fan of Lucas Cormier. But all those guys have the skating ability to create separation. You know, they they have the ability to keep the puck because they can get around these big guys. They can keep the puck away from them with their feet. That's something that I find Passion still has trouble with. And I think that's one of the reasons why I have him a lot lower than someone like uh, Jarvis or Samantaval, who I think is a fringe first-rounder. Yeah, and... So I think we should move on to our, our last player of discussion. And we're kind of going from one of the smallest players in the draft to one of the tallest players in the draft. And that's uh, Dylan Peterson. So uh, this, this is a player I've personally had my eye on from the start of the season, not just because of his skill set, but um, I mean, normally we're a Sens podcast and he checks literally every single box of what the Sens tend to lean towards at the draft. So I'll just go through the check boxes quickly. So first, he, he's actually from Ottawa. Uh, so he has a local connection playing for the Ottawa Junior Senators uh, just a couple years ago. Um, and second of all, he's a centerman, which they've been drafting a lot of lately. Um, third, he's actually going the college route too, despite being from Canada. Uh, he's committed to Boston University for next season. And finally, and maybe most importantly, um, he's absolutely massive. He's six foot four. Uh, he just turned 18 in January. And uh, I think I'll leave it at that for now, as I want to kind of get into the rankings because uh, he started off pretty highly regarded at the beginning of the season and has kind of gradually fell off in a bunch of rankings that I've seen. Um, with a consensus kind of having him in a mid-round range, like second to fourth round. So, where you have him in that range right now at 114th on your latest list. Well, Derek, you have him high up at 39th, and uh, we kind of discussed this a bit before the episode, but you likely have him even higher than that now. So, uh, Derek, I want to go back to you. I know this kind of doesn't tie into your case uh, for for small players, because we're talking about one of the biggest players now, but uh, can you just give us a, a rundown of what you like about Dylan Peterson? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know I'm, I'm probably higher uh, on Peterson than pretty much anyone. There's one other guy I've talked with a little bit on Twitter who I know really likes him. That's Tony Ferrari. I don't know exactly know where he would be on his board, but Peterson does have his fans out there. Um, he's a guy that I've watched a lot this season. I've probably seen him more than 10 times. Uh, mostly against USHL competition, a little bit against NCAA competition as part of the U.S. national team program, and then at the U18 tournament in uh, February. And the thing about Peterson is he has just this amazing toolbox. He's not just this big guy at six foot four, but he's also really smooth. He's really good on his feet. He's got a lot of uh, mobility to his size. 
Uh, he can get up to a really good top speed, and it doesn't take him long to get there. He's also surprisingly good with the puck on his stick. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised just when I started watching him really intently this season because he wasn't putting up a lot of numbers. But he can make plays. He he likes to be a playmaker more than a shooter, and it's easy to see why. Because every game I've watched of him, there were at least one or two plays that just really made me stop and go wow at what he was doing. You know, he's able to do he's able to stick handle through traffic. He's able to make these really subtle no look backhand passes to his teammates. He can toe drag and try to shoot through the defender's legs. He's got this really really impressive bag of tricks. And I think a lot of people who haven't seen him much might not realize that because he's been really snake bitten this year. He hasn't put up a lot of points. Uh, but I think a large part of that too is also with how he's been used and what he's what he's working with on in the U.S. program. Uh, I'm a really big fan of Tyson Melanic. I like Tyson Melanic, but he's not a finisher. I can't even count the number of times where Peterson would set him up for a beautiful play and Smolanik just wouldn't finish. Or even Peterson himself, he'd get in these really great opportunities and he just wouldn't quite be able to bury the puck. Uh, I think he's a guy who's also still growing into his frame. He, he does look a little bit awkward, maybe a little bit kind of gangly and off balance at times. And there are times where his hands don't quite catch up to his feet. Like he'll be blazing full speed ahead down down the wing or up through the middle. And you can, you can tell he's looking to do that really big move to the middle and he'll just not quite do it. Like he'll bobble the puck a little bit or, you know, kind of leave it just a step behind him and lose it. So I think there's a lot of really raw upside to him. I think he's a guy who's going to develop really, really well. I like that he's going to Boston U. They've got a really good program there that has a really good track record of developing players over the last five, 10 years. I think some NHL team is going to spend a lot of time with him, get him doing just a thousand hours of puck handling drills, stick him into video room. I think he's a guy who's going to be a really big player down the road. Maybe it's in one year, maybe it's two years, maybe it's five years, but I think this is a guy who has all the tools needed to blow up and to become something really special one day. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, from a sense fan's perspective, I think the guy that immediately comes to mind for comparison is Wogan Brown. And of, and of course, Wogan Brown was a top 10 pick in his year. So I'll, I'll put it off to Larry. The floor is yours now. What's what's your case against picking Dylan Peterson with a high pick? You know, it's funny with Dylan Peterson because I, I started him off in my preseason rankings at 37th, right around where Derek has him at. And Derek sort of stayed with him throughout the season. And good on Derek for that because he does have that projectable upside of, of being an, an NHL player with he's a big and toolsy guy a, a lot like Quinton Byfield you know and, and even it's got that kind of playmaking ability like Byfield there, there are I mean I don't want to compare Dylan Peterson to Quinton Byfield but I have Peterson down at 114 and and maybe I'm not Quinton Byfield's biggest fan either at, at number four in my rankings but I do see uh, uh, some some comparables between those two and and perhaps it could click for Dylan Peterson where he does become a beast as a pro guy because he does skate well for his size. He is a right-handed center, which is always coveted. And there's no doubt in my mind that an NHL team isn't going to wait until 114th to take Dylan Peterson. And, and another guy who's sort of in that same uh, thing for me uh, is Will Cooley, uh, a shoot first winger from the, the OHL. I started him at 35th and it's just kind of been a chain reaction with Peterson and Cooley, they've kind of been tumbling down my rankings together. And I think a lot of that does have to do with a, a lack of production for the fact that they are men among boys for the most part. I know Peterson plays a 
NCAA teams as well, but his USHL production hasn't really, you know, only eight goals total during his draft year for, for his size and his physical maturity. The fact he is already 200 pounds, he's not, he is a bit gangly and he can pack on, he'll play it probably closer to 230 or 240. But uh, I don't think it's just snake bitten or bad luck. I think there's, there's some potential there where I question his offensive upside. Is he just going to be a, a third line center is, is Dylan Peterson. And in a lot of ways, he does remind me of Trent Frederick, who the Boston Bruins reached for in the first round a few years ago. And, and, you know, there's just not that, I guess maybe that's that floor ceiling thing. I think Dylan Peterson has a high floor that he probably will be a third line center, but can he get to be a top six forward and to be ranked in my top two rounds? I'd like to see him be a, a top six option, at least the middle six guy. Like a Dylan Holloway or last year Shane Pinto, guys like that that I can I can project them into the top six uh, in their prime, and I just don't know if I see that from Dylan Peterson, even though he is big and toolsy and has some of the same attributes that Quentin Byfield brings. So I do think Peterson will get a slight bump uh, in my final rankings, but I don't expect him to crack my top 100. And and like I said, Peterson and Will Cooley have kind of been tumbling together right now. Will Cooley's 113 and and Dylan Peterson's 114 through May. I do expect them to flip, but I don't think Peterson is going to pull away into the top 100. And, and a lot of that is just the lack of production in his draft year. Only eight goals with his size and his maturity playing against, you know, boys in the USHL. And I don't want to say the CHL is better than the USHL, but I think, you know, if he can only produce that much in the USHL, what would have he done in the, the OHL or the WHL or, you know, potentially even the QMJHL. So I have question marks about the offensive upside of Dylan Peterson, and that's what's really kept him down my rankings and caused him to tumble. It has a lot to do with that lack of production and and just kind of a bit of a red flag for me. Yeah, it's definitely interesting with that lack of production you mentioned. And I mean, I think I just need to give the floor back to Derek here. Is there any, any anything you want to rebut with? I mean, I won't deny that the lack of production is a concern. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, if you're a forward who's expected to score, you need to score. Or you need to set up your teammates to score. Like, you need to put up those points. Uh, but I think I think there's a big distinction to be made between what a player is now and what a player might be down the road after they've had some development time with an NHL club, maybe a little bit of a different development environment than what they're used to. I mean, obviously the U S national program is a great development environment. I couldn't say enough good things about them, but maybe, you know, Boston university is also a very good development program. So maybe they'll be able to unlock a little bit more out of him. Uh, Peterson kind of reminds me, in some loose waves, uh, as Rupe Hints, who uh, plays for the Dallas Stars. And I remember the 2015 draft, and it was the second round, and the Stars picked Hints. And I was I really didn't get the pick at the time. I'd seen Hints in his draft here. I saw a guy who was big and a guy who could skate, but I didn't really see a lot else. You know, the, the point totals weren't there. He just didn't really wow me. And after the draft someone from the stars, I think it was director of scouting, Joe McDonnell said that Hints was a guy that they had in the first round on their board. And I kind of scoffed. I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like, you know, you always want to pump up the guys you draft and, yeah. you know, brag about him a little bit, but I mean, you know, fast forward five years and I totally see it. Hints is probably one of the 30 best players from that draft class. And that's a very, very good 2015 draft class. You know, he was a guy who had, 
who had things that you just you couldn't teach or change in his size and his really amazing natural skating ability. And the stars just took a lot of time with him. You know, he was in a good program in, in Finland. They gave him the year in the AHL, and they just developed up everything else about his game. And now he's this really talented impact player. And I, I don't want to say he's a direct comparison to Peterson because there are some parts of their games that differ. But I think Peterson's of a similar mold where he's a guy with a lot of different tools. And I think that an NHL team is going to be able to develop those tools and get more out of him than what we've seen so far. I think that's a bet that I'd be willing to make just because if everything hits, he's going to be a special player. I mean, with passion, I think if everything hits, you've got a guy who could be a good second liner. But with Peterson, I think if everything hits, he's a guy who could be a top liner who also plays some penalty kill. And one other thing that I forgot to mention about his production is he was primarily the net front guy on the national team's power play. So he didn't touch the puck a lot. He was he was on that top unit, but he was usually parked in front of the net, uh, you know, doing the screen kind of thing. He wasn't touching the puck as much as guys like Smolanik and Sanderson and especially Thomas Bordalo. So I think that might have hurt his ability to put up points as well. Yeah, interesting. And he's definitely struck me all season as probably one of the draft's most unique players. Just the combination of size and speed and, and having that, that uh, playmaking vision as well. And I have a question, Larry, is is because of that unique skill set, does that kind of, uh, do you think that will vault him up some draft boards from NHL teams? Or do you find that uh, there are still just enough red flags to kind of keep him in that mid to, uh, mid to round range? I do think the tools are going to get him drafted in the second or third round. Uh, he's the type of prospect that NHL teams have long coveted. So, and especially being a right-handed center with that size, there, there's no doubt he's going to go higher. And one point that Derek made that uh, is really important, and, and especially young, up-and-coming, aspiring scouts have to really take note of, is not to do your rankings based on stat lines from the draft year, but you really have to project four or five years down the road. And that's what Derek is doing with Dylan Peterson saying, forget the eight goals. You know, he's going to get 16 in college and he's going to get 25 in the NHL and, and project that projection is so important. And, and maybe for me, that's where Cooley who maybe didn't have a great playmaker in Windsor and, and maybe he'll be a guy that can score, you know, and, and be a Tom Wilson type guy in the NHL as well, who is the comparable there. So perhaps they tumbled, too far down my rankings based on, you know, kind of getting that production in your head that, oh, they're not scoring, they're not scoring, and, and down they go. Whereas when you really look at the projection with Peterson, I think Derek makes a good point there. But then when you talk about he's the net front guy on the power play against USHL goalies at six foot four, if if Sanderson's shooting from the point and there's a rebound, you want that six foot four center putting that puck in the net and to only have eight goals being a net front guy at six foot four. Again, I see that as a red flag for the lack of production, but there is a definite distinction and that's important for young aspiring scouts to be able to differentiate between who had the best draft year and who's going to be the best pro. And you have to rank according to the best pro, not the stat line that they produced during the draft year. And that is probably the biggest point to take away on Peterson, in my opinion. Awesome. So that, so that about closes things off for the debate portion of this episode. Um, as to finish things off, I just want to give you both the chance to shout out any of your late round sweeper picks, just players that you think could be a potential steal down the road. Uh, I'll let Derek go first. Um, so who are a couple of your sweeper picks? Oh boy, there's a lot of them. Um, one guy that I really like uh, out of the AJHL actually is Kabori Dunn. Uh, I might have mispronounced his first name. I don't know if it's Kabor or Kabori, but... <clears throat> 
It's funny. I actually hadn't really heard anything about Dunn before the CJHL top prospects game um, back in, I believe it was January or it might've been just the AJHL top prospects game. Anyways, I, I saw him at one of those best on best tournaments. And I just remember like watching him that first shift. I'm like, who is this guy? I need to know more about this guy. And I started watching him a little bit more in the AJHL with uh, the Fort McMurray oil barons. And I came away really, really intrigued. He's a late, he's a, he's a little bit older for this draft class. He's a 2001 birthday, but he spent last year uh, with Syracuse, I believe. And I honestly don't even know what the league is. I think it's the NCDC or something like that. I think it's a league out of uh, Northeastern United States. And this year he's playing for the former Murray Oil Barons. And I don't know if they've ever produced any talent that's ever made it to the NHL. So he hasn't been a guy who's been around good development programs to this point in his career. But he's really interesting. He's about six foot two a defenseman and he's got just beautiful skating. He's really mobile in all directions. He's fluid. He's fast. And he does a really good job of keeping his head up when he's moving the puck. He just keeps his head up from the back end. He's always scanning and reading the play. And I think he's got a lot of upside as a guy who can be like a really dangerous, even strength uh, possession player uh, at the NHL level. I don't think he's necessarily good enough at either side of special teams to be one of those types of guys. But I think he's a guy you could put on your third pair, maybe even your second pair in a pinch because he can shoot right. That I think he's going to be a guy who can really, really make a difference. And I think some teams are going to be kicking themselves if they miss him in the later rounds. Uh, he's going to, I believe, the University of Maine next season. And I think he could be the, one of those guys who takes, takes a big jump. Uh, the AJHL is starting to come along with regards to its ability to produce talent. And I think Don is going to be one of those guys. Uh, someone else that I really like uh, out of the dub this year is also uh, a late birthday. Uh, he went undrafted last year. His name is Daniel Baker. He played with the Medicine Hat Tigers this year and last year, and he took really big strides this year as a defenseman. He's about six foot four, not all that big yet, maybe about two hundred pounds or so. But he's got long skating strides. He's really confident in how he plays. He's willing to jump up into the rush. I mean, I, I saw him involved on a two on one. Uh, shorthanded breakaway, or sorry, not not breakaway, but two on one uh, shorthanded chance in one of the games I played, or one of the games I watched. And he, he's a guy with a lot of tools. He's still really raw, uh, but I think he took big strides this season. He was Medicine Hat's uh, best defenseman uh, for most of the year. He's got a big, big shot from the points. He moves well for his size. I think he's a really raw guy who could take some big steps uh, once an NHL team gets their hands on him. Interesting. And yeah, these are definitely sweeper picks because, I mean, especially for, for Dunn, I hadn't even heard his name before you mentioned it just then. So uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see how uh, that pans out at the draft. So, uh, Larry, same question to you. Are there any players you just want to shout out? Yeah, with Kapori Dunn, I think the, the one thing Derek mentioned with Fort McMurray and producing defensemen, the name that came to mind for me is Colton Pareko. He's a guy that came through Fort McMurray right, and yeah. went on to obviously a Terrific NHL career. Maybe done, you know, uh, they got Gord Thibodeau there and some good development there. So potentially he does become something. There's some other defensemen in the draft that are very similar to Corey Dunn. Uh, Isaac Phillips is a guy that plays for Sudbury in the OHL. And Jeremy, I can't pronounce his last name, starts with a B. His uncle was an NFL player, but he's, I believe, in Beldour in the queue. Uh, Biaka Batuka, I think. Yeah, Biaka Batuka. That's the one. So those two guys. Phillips, Biakabatuka, and, and Kabori Dunn. I'm kind of keeping them an eye on all three of those. But 
I'll go with some guys that maybe uh, aren't as much of sleepers anymore. Uh, the guy from our coverage region that, uh, thanks to our FC colleague, Joel Henderson, has been pumping up and, and seems to be gaining a lot of online momentum is Tristan Robbins. He's a center iceman from Saskatoon who really seems to be emerging as a riser. Uh, I've been talking about him for a few months as well as a guy that we really got to consider bumping up in the rankings. And he's kind of been doing the 15 spots higher every month for me. And he's going to be closer to a, a second round pick in my final rankings. I compared him to Braden Point because Braden Point was obviously a, a third round steal. And there are some similarities there in the way that Tristan Robbins plays the game comparable to Braden Point. So he's a guy I'd like to shout out. Um, other forwards from our coverage area, Connor McLennan with the Winnipeg Ice. He had a broken collarbone and and missed sort of the back half of the draft year. But if he goes outside the top 75, which you're seeing him ranked, you know, outside of the top three rounds in a lot of rankings, I think he could be a steal. As well as Cross Hannes in Portland, uh, another forward who's got a lot of offensive tools that for me, if, if he's inside the top 100, I don't love him. If he's outside the top 100 or... Certainly into the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. I think Cross Hannes has, you know, enough flash and dash that he could potentially uh, become a top six forward in the NHL. And Dylan Garand as a goaltender in, in the WHL, you don't hear much about him in the rankings, almost like Dustin Wolf last season. And it's because he's not six foot four like Brock Gold or some of these other goaltenders. Uh, last year was Mad Sogard from Denmark and Medicine Hat to overshadowed Dustin Wolf, and now, you know, Dustin Wolf had a record-breaking season in the WHL. I think Dylan Garand, he's such a fitness freak and, and just a really good athlete off the ice. He's up for the Scholastic Player of the Year in the CHL. I think he's been very underrated as a goaltender if we're focusing on WHL guys. If I look elsewhere, I'll just rattle off some names quick, but in the OHL, guys that are sort of in that 75 to 150 kind of middle-round guys, that I've been watching a lot of OHL and guys that really caught my eye for forwards are Evan Veerling, Ty Tulio, Zade Wisdom, and Ethan Cardwell. And Veerling and Cardwell are teammates in Barry with Tyson Forster. I think all three of those guys can outperform where they're currently ranked and and may go higher than than we expect. Zade Wisdom, he'll be centering Shane Wright and Martin Chromiak in Kingston on one of the CHL's most potent lines for the next couple seasons. The uh Zade Wisdom couldn't ask for a better a better spot. And I think NHL teams will, again, they'll look and project who he's playing with and, and he'll go higher in the draft. And, and Tulio's in Oshawa with a defenseman named Leighton Moore who didn't have a great draft year, but another kid who I kind of have had on my radar as a potential steal. And then if you go over to the QMJHL, uh, Ryan Francis and Kate Breton is a kid I like as well as William Dufour and Drummondville. But two guys that I think are, are going to pop potentially are Brady Burns and Josh Lawrence, both undersized forwards from St. John. And that's going to be the team to watch in the queue over the next four or over the next two or three seasons. They just added uh, Peter Reddle, Peter Reynolds from Chilliwack in the BCHL. He had been committed to Boston College. He's a top prospect for 2021, likely first rounder, potential top 10 pick. He joins that fold with Brady Burns and Josh Lawrence. I think those two will take a step and might get drafted a little bit higher despite their size, just knowing that they're going to be on a, a juggernaut team. So lots of names there as far as CHL forwards especially, but those are guys that I'm really looking forward to seeing where they go in the draft, and I think they can outperform where I currently have them ranked and where a lot of other people are, are mocking them so far. 
Awesome. Yeah, that's a lot of players for thought for our listeners. And just before we go, um, can you just guys give our listeners, or can you just let our listeners know where to find your work? Um, we'll let Derek go first, then Larry. Uh, just anything you want to plug? Sure. Yeah. Uh, my main uh, place is Twitter, uh, Derek underscore N underscore NHL. Uh, during the year, it's a mix of draft uh, prospect coverage and Dallas Stars coverage. Uh, right now, it's pretty much predominantly uh, draft coverage. So just various thoughts on players that I'm watching, trends that I notice uh, with the draft. Uh, right now, I'm going through a series of prospect profiles uh, for defending Big D. So it's it's a little Dallas Stars specific. I'm profiling guys that I think will be available for the Stars uh, or might be available for the Stars when they pick in the first round. But I'm going over a lot of the big names. So so far, I've done Caden Gooley, Braden Schneider, uh, Dawson Mercer, and today, actually, earlier this afternoon, I finished my write-up of Jan Misak. And next up is going to be Connor Zary. So I'm going to be writing about a thousand words each on all these uh, big guys who are projected to go in uh, the first round. I'm not going to be writing about Quinton Byfield or Alexis uh, Lafreniere because I know this, they're going to either Ottawa or Detroit probably. <laughs> but if you have a team that's uh, going to be going or picking uh, somewhere in the 15 to 30 range, most of those guys are going to have write-ups on. So if you want to learn more about those kind of players, uh, check out my work on Defending Big D. Awesome. Yeah, you must follow on Twitter for Derek and same thing to Larry as well. But Larry, where can we find your work? Yeah, you can find my work at thehockeywriters.com. And for me, uh, it's full-on draft mode as well. I'm uh, It's sort of one of my niches doing mock drafts. It's something I really enjoy. And of course, when the actual draft plays out, they're usually out the window within a few picks and you're lucky to get you know, 10 bang on out of 217 kids that are selected to match the, the team, the prospect and, and the right draft number. It's not an easy challenge, but it's certainly something, you know, kind of a, a wannabe GM. I like to kind of get in the minds of each team and see who they might take at each spot. And I really enjoy the, the mock draft process. So I'm finishing off my current mock series, which will be just the first round. I did 10 different versions of it. I have a couple more to go and then I'll analyze that based on you know the prospects as well as the teams and sort of the likely scenarios and sort of handicap the first round and then I'll take on my big project which has kind of been a work in progress and that's doing a full seven round mock draft I hope to have enough time to provide analysis for all 217 selections of course that will depend on what the draft date is and when the draft lottery is held because I'm going to need the draft lottery to take place in order to get the the correct draft order as well so it's uh at least at the top for the first round so it's a bit of a challenge a bit of a waiting game but slowly but surely i'm sort of piecing that together that seven round mock draft and i'm hoping to provide analysis for all 217 selections and then uh let the chips fall where they may whenever the draft takes place but certainly uh a lot of mocking to be done over the next few weeks Awesome. I'm looking forward to it, guys. And that about wraps it up for episode two of the 2020 Draft Debaters. And a huge thanks to Larry and Derek for giving us uh, their time and to make us all informed. Thank you so much, guys. As I wrap it up, a reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review it on those platforms as well. You can find me on Twitter at CutmoreCollin and my co-host Trevor, even though he wasn't on this episode today, you can find him on Twitter at ShackTS. You can also follow our Twitter account at CP Pointcast, where you'll be the first to be notified of future episodes and for listener questions in the future as well. 
We'll be back with Draft Bitters again next Tuesday and Thursday, so stay tuned for that. But that's all for today, folks. Adios.